Well, amen. Good to see you today. You know, uh, today I'm going to talk to you about um, the heart of the Father. We actually begin a series about the Father's heart. And I think when you really come to understand his heart, a million of issues will disappear from you, right? Because it's, it's this lack of relationship that cripples all of us. Lack of relationship with your fellow man, lack of relationship with your father. Uh, communities experience it. Schools experience it. Nations of the world experience this, this separation, this thing that doesn't work. So I want to illustrate this love of the Father with a story that happened just yesterday. Uh, we have Cruz and Crosby with us, and they're six and four, and, you know, just a lot of fun, and they're so smart. They're just, it's clear that intelligence skips a generation. Some of you will catch that up in a minute here. But, they're, you know, we took them to the pumpkin patch out at Irvine Regional Park. Have you been there? Anybody been there? I mean, it's awesome. They have cotton candy. They have uh, panning for gold. They have uh, train rides, face painting. I mean, it is an amazing place to spend a million dollars. So, you know, bought a ticket. Tammy went over and bought a little package of tickets, and, and, and I thought they were like a dollar a ticket. You know, they were $5 a ticket. I'm going, whoa. How many did you buy? And I'm going, you know, look at this little box of tickets. And now I'm like thinking, cheap Phyllis kicking in here really big time. And so then we go over to the, they want to pan for gold. Now, if you can imagine this, it's this long tr wooden trough filled with water and sand. And they've painted little rocks gold. And they got a little pan, and you get in there, and you get, the, you get the pan, and you get five minutes for two tickets. That means five minutes cost you $10. So I'm sitting here doing the math, and I'm going, okay, there's 10 kids around here, and every, so every five minutes, it's costing $10 times 10 kids. Okay, I'm doing the math. Okay, 100. Uh, and and I'll, before I know, wow, they're making like three grand every day just off a of pan of gold. And I'm thinking, we're going to get a gold panning thing at church. I mean, we, we could eliminate even take an offering. We just pan for gold. You got to go pan for gold. Everybody buy a ticket, go pan for gold. But as I was sitting there, and I couldn't help but do the math. I mean, you know, just it just kicked in. It's, call it my Dutch nature. You know, I don't know what it is, but I'm just watching this thing. And all of a sudden, I had those, that Holy Spirit revelation. He said, you don't really care what it costs, do you? Because they're your grandchildren. They're having fun. You don't care what it costs. He said, I didn't care how much it cost to send my son because I love those creatures whom I created as much or more than my son. Now, that might sound like a radical statement, as much or more than my son, until you realize that God gave his son for you, which was his dearly beloved he sacrificed for you. You sacrificed for some. You've sacrificed something for someone you love more. Have you ever seen the love of the Father like that? It wasn't a great love. It was a love that surpassed even the love of His Son because He gave His Son for you. And all of a sudden, when Holy Spirit gave me that revelation of the panning for gold, everything kind of disappeared. It didn't really matter anymore. 
And then I also realized as I watched, I watched those kids, and they're sitting there, and they're taking this little pan, and they're they're getting the gold, you know, and, and the little sparkles are coming up, and they're so excited. And, and I told them afterwards, I said, you're going to have to buy dinner. And they got so disappointed because they thought they were going to have to spend their gold on dinner. <laughs> but as I watched it, I realized that was a picture of us. God says, I give you a pan And I want you to dig through the sand of this world, and I want you to find the gold. There's gold everywhere you go. And if you'll just be patient and just know that I'm paying the tab for you to pan for gold in life, you're going to see my riches beyond measure. You're going to see beyond what you could ever think. I want to give you this first thought, and, and it is this, that you cannot separate You cannot separate the nature and the presence of God. When we talk about the nature of God, we talk about what God is really like, not what we think he's like, not what religion's painted, not what your experience has painted. What is God really like? That's his nature. That's who he is. When you understand that the heart of the Father is all about loving you, not because you do everything right, because you don't and I don't, It is because he cannot help but love you that way because he's a good father. So the nature of God cannot be separated from the presence. When we talk about the presence of God, we we talk about that which is revealed about God. That's what we feel, that entering into an awareness of God, his presence. And there is a presence of God in here, and, and, and sometimes people will comment when we walk in here, we feel his presence. Sometimes his presence becomes real during a worship or during a message or just in one of those flickering moments where you don't expect it. And just so I just kind of feel God. But you can invite his presence into your life as well. You can can simply say, you know, Father, I I just need to be aware of your presence. And even saying that, there's a sense at which you go, wow, I'm in the presence of God. God does not leave me. I leave him in in the sense of an awareness of his presence, but he's always with me. The Bible says that even though we deny him, he will not not deny us, for he cannot deny himself. See, Christ in you creates a scenario in which he cannot deny himself because he's in you. You say, well, I don't know if I believe in God. He still believes in you. Isn't that great? You know, when you have someone believe in you, you can do anything. Right? You just go, I, if you think I can do it, I can do it. If you believe in me, I'm going to try. God never stops believing in you. You say, but you don't know how I've failed or how I've been unfaithful. You see, you never earned his approval by your faithfulness or by your lack of, of doing what was right. You, you, that never was the criteria. It was always just his nature would not, could not stop loving you because he made you in his image. Therefore, when you move down life and you really mess up, and you will, know that his love has not diminished because of that. He, like any good father, all he wants to really know is, will you return to faithfulness? See, the point of departure is the point of return. Wherever you departed from loving the Father is where you return back to that point so that then he can take away everything that's in between and there's not a gap in the process. The gap in the process is all that stuff that I haven't, I haven't really 
brought before him. And so when I go back to the point of, of, of departure, I say, Father, I departed from you here, and now I just want to know, I want to go back there, and I want to renew my heart for faithfulness. And he says, that's all I want. I don't, guilt just never comes from God. Guilt comes from Jewish mothers. Passed on to Gentile mothers. And then it becomes a gift that keeps on giving. Amen? Let me take you another thought. True freedom comes from knowing God's heart. You're never really free until you know his heart. Have you ever been in a situation where you, there's a lot of people around you and you don't know them and you, you don't feel free, right? You don't know, should I talk? Should I express myself? Should I introduce myself? Should I tell people? Because there's a lack of freedom there because there's a lack of knowing. But when you really know the Father, you have this complete freedom. It just kind of kind of ushers itself out of you. You see, our joy is found in our ability to change. Change is a creature word. We change, but God is unchangeable. When we say God is unchangeable, we use a term, a big term, theological term. It's called immutability. That means God never changes. He's never different from what he was yesterday, today, or forever. The God who loved you yesterday loves you today, and he loves you tomorrow, and it's not conditioned upon your response to him. He's unchanging. But you see, the joy in our life comes the fact that we can change. How many times have you had that situation where you go, God, I just want to change? How many times have you met yourself and you said, I don't like me, but I can change? How many times have you talked to someone and said, well, just trust me, I'm going to change? You see? And sometimes what we do is we get stuck. We get stuck and we think we can't change. It's too long, too old, too much. You know, if I had a dollar for every time someone said, you don't know how bad my life is or how many mistakes I've made, and I said, well, you can try to shock me, but trust me, I pretty well heard everything. But God has heard everything, and he's not shocked. People say, you know, if I came to church, the, the ceiling would fall in. I said, what makes you so arrogant? To think that we would actually, God would actually drop the ceiling just because of you. What God will do is he'll just love you the way he loves you outside the walls. Isn't that good? He's he just going to keep on loving you. You say, well, what if I don't want to be loved? Too bad. You ever had someone just put their arms around you, give you a hug, and you go, boy, I just love you? But what really changes is it when somebody holds you for like five seconds longer, and I don't mean in an awkward way, all right? I mean, there are people that are like, okay. You know, you have too much cologne on, please let me go. Kind of awkward way, right? But when someone holds you just an extra five seconds longer and you, do, you just know you've passed that little, that little moment where you expect that it's going to be like, you know, the little gentle hug and the grandma pat on the shoulder and all that kind of stuff, and all of a sudden they're just holding you a little bit longer, and you go, you know, I think you really do love me. That's when it gets good. That's what God does. He just holds you a little bit longer. And you know it's real. You know he really, really does love you. I, uh, I want to quote from a, a theologian from England. His name is N.T. Wright. And he, uh, what, what I like to do is I like to give you stuff that challenges your mind and your thinking in terms of theology and philosophy, but at the same time give you the Spirit of God so that you know that, that ultimately, you know, everything that we do must press through the Spirit of God and through the Word of God. God wants you smart and spiritual not dumb and spiritual. 
All right? We got enough dumb people in the world. Amen? I'm one of them, all right? I'm like, God, help me. I need to be smarter in all of this. But listen to what he said. You become, you become like what you worship. What do you worship? If your idea of God is that God is stoic and angry and upset, then you begin to worship a God who's stoic and angry and upset. If you begin to, if your idea of God is that God loves you and God is emotional and God is smart and all those other kind of things, you enter into a God and you go, God, you got to be smart. You created the heavens and the earth. You got to be loving because you love me. You sent your own son to die for me. He goes on to say, when you gaze in awe, admiration, and wonder at something or someone, you begin to take on something of the character of the object that you worship. That's why having the right view of God is so critically important so that your worship becomes right. It becomes correct. And so many of us have been, been let's say, jaded by religion. And I hate religion. I mean, when I say that to people, they look at me like I'm crazy because I'm a pastor. No, I hate religion. Because religion is this thing that somehow wants me to conform to and be like everybody else and kind of fall into lockstep with everybody else and everything else instead of just a love relationship with Jesus Christ. I like having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I can do that without being religious. You see, I don't have to be in church. I want to be in church. That's the difference. Religion says you have to be. Relationship says I want to be. That's the big difference. I, uh, I want to take you on a, on a journey in the heart of the Father. And this, is a, this is a passage that I've never really applied quite this way before, and I've preached on it a couple of times here. But the heart of the Father is unchanging. People say, you know, I like the God of the New Testament, not the Old Testament. Same God. You just don't know the heart of the Father in the Old Testament. You don't know how to read the Old Testament yet to see the Father's heart. Because when you read the Old Testament with the Father's heart, you understand what it's up to, and you understand how God deals with us in different points and times in our life. See, there are times in your life when God's going to deal with you in a certain way and then other times in another way. And that's how the Bible is. It's in the Old Testament, God's revealing, God's showing, God's working through uh, society and culture and where it is at that particular time. And it may not make sense until you understand the Father's heart, but once you do, you go, no, now I get it, God. I didn't get it then, but now I get it. So the heart of the Father is unchanging. Let me give you a scripture for that. Malachi chapter 3 and verses 6 and 7. And uh, this series we're going to be is, is all about the heart of the Father. And we want you to really start to, to tie into this concept of the heart of the Father. He says, for I am the Lord. I do not change. You ever met somebody and you, you say, hey, what's your name? You get the name. And then the first question is usually, what do you do? Because we're all about what people do, and we're all about trying to establish some pecking order of success, whether it's in academics or whether it's in, you know, in society, whether it's in accomplishment or whatever. It's all about trying to get a resume out as quick as we can without looking arrogant. God doesn't give us his resume. He just says, I am the Lord. I'm just God. Is that enough? And by the way, in case you wonder, I don't change. I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed. Now, I love that because he said, if I changed, I would wipe all of you out because you frustrate me. Amen? I mean, if you were God for a day, who would be top on the list to go? Right? 
That's why God didn't let me be God. I already got the list. Five, top five, they're out of here, God. He goes, that's why I am the Lord. I do not change, therefore you are not consumed. You see how that works? So God doesn't act like we act. His ways are not our ways. So it goes on to say, therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. From the days of your fathers you have gone astray from my ordinances and have not kept them. So he said, you know, the moment you were born, you started this activity of violating what I gave you. But remember, I am the Lord and I do not change. I keep loving you. I keep loving you. You just kept doing it you all your days. You haven't tried to protect. And then he says, return to me and I will return to you. Now what that really means is the point of departure is the point of return. So I go back and I say, well, how have I departed from you? Well, I, I used to really love you, God. I used to worship you. Then go back to loving and worshiping him. You say, well, then it says he'll return. The idea is not that he's distant and he shows up. The idea is you find him waiting for you all the, all the time at the point of departure. That's why Zacchaeus, when, got, when he was confronted by Jesus, he said, you know what, I'm going to give back four times to all those people that I stole from. Why did he do that? Because he went back to the point of departure so he could come to the point of return. Now let's keep going here. Return to me, I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts, but you have said, in what ways shall we return? Let me take you to another theologian, one of my favorite ones, A.W. Tozer. And uh, you know guys, when they use their initials, they have really bad first and middle names, right? I mean, that's the only reason you do it, A.W. Tozer, you know? Okay, but, but he's a brilliant guy. Look what he says. All that God is right now, he has always been. And all that he has been and is, he will ever be. In other words, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In one place in the Revelation, it describes God like this. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. In other words, if you go back to the beginning, I'm there. If you go to the end, I'm there. And I'm everything in between. I am God. You see, God wants us to understand we are co-laborers in this kingdom that he's established. It's not like God's over there doing all this cool stuff and we go join him and that we're over here doing all this cool stuff asking God to bless us. He said, no, let's join hands. Let's see what we can do together because I need your hands and feet. I need someone like you to put your hand on someone's shoulder and pray for them. I need you to put your arms around someone and embrace them and love them when they're crying. I need you to reach in your pocket sometimes and help somebody because they can't help themselves. I need you to cry with those who cry. I need you to weep with those who weep. I need you to laugh with those who laugh. I need you to be a part of the kingdom with me. After all, you are created in my image. You are a creature who's creative in the image of God to replicate me in the world wherever I go. So when people see you, they see me. Because if they don't see me, they're never going to love me. They're going to see religion. They're going to hate me. Right? The word reveals the pathway to his purpose. When I go into his word, I go, oh, this is the purpose of the Father. If I know the Father's heart, then the purpose doesn't frighten me. I want to take you to a scripture. I didn't use this in the earlier service, but uh, I just, just felt so strong about it. It's from the book of Jeremiah. And we normally go to Jeremiah 33, and, and we, don't, we stop it like a couple of verses into it, and we never get any further because it says, call unto me, and I'll show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Cool verse, right? Refrigerator verse. 
I like that verse. But listen to what else he goes on to say. He says in verse 6, Behold, I will bring it health and healing, and I will heal them and reveal to them the abundance of peace and truth. When God heals your heart, you see abundance and truth. When your heart is broken or angry or challenged, you don't see hope, you don't see peace, you don't see joy. You become cynical and you become negative. You become critical. Listen to what he says. And I will cause the captives of Judah and the captives of Israel to return, and I will rebuild those places as first. He says, when you do this, I'm at the point of departure. I'm going to go back to the first. I'm going to rebuild those things. There are things in your life that go back a year, two years, ten years that need to be rebuilt. And God will rebuild them tonight, right today. Just You don't even have to wait till tomorrow. He will rebuild those things today. God is always in the construction business. Amen? He's always reestablishing the foundation, laying the structure, hanging the steel, putting on the roof, putting in the mortar. He's always in that business. And look what it says. And I will cleanse them from all their inequity from which they have sinned against me, and I will pardon all their inequities by which they have sinned and by which they have transgressed against me. Did you notice the word all? He doesn't say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive you of all the lightweight kind of stuff you did. I'm going to forgive you, you know, if you didn't do anything really bad. Isn't it funny how we think God doesn't love us if we do something really bad, but he kind of loves us if we only do kind of, you know, let's call it halfway bad stuff, right? And he must really love us, you know, if we just do little bitty stuff. And, of course, he loves us the most if we never do anything wrong. Of course, none of those people exist, so he doesn't really love anybody like that. But it goes on to say this, verse 9, then shall... um, Then it shall be that my name of joy and praise and honor before all nations of the earth, who shall hear the good things that I do to them, they shall fear and tremble for the goodness and all the prosperity that I will provide. Now, I want you to see this. This is so powerful. God said, when people see how good I am to them, then they will love me. Do you realize you are in some ways an opportunity for people to find the love of God? When they see the goodness of God acting out in you, they go, I want that. What is that? I don't know what that is, but I want some of that. I've had people say, hey, you're different. What's that about? And I go, I don't know. You know, I mean, my wife says I'm different, but I think we're talking about different issues here. But you see, God says, I want you to understand that you can become a reservoir of the Spirit of God, that when people see you, they're seeing me, and they're not attracted to you as much as they're seeing, they're attracted to the me in you, and you become this divine river of flow of the Spirit of God, not because you're so great, but you people get caught up in the river, and they go, I want to get in the river too. I want to flow down the river. I want to get some of that. What is that and how do I get that? And that's so more, much more appealing than the other. I like to use this illustration. Just suppose that, that you know, you read your Bible every day. You're faithful. You know, you're like, you're like, like you know, Mr. Devotional. You know, you're like super Christian, right? I'm sorry, I don't really want to get you, but I, I'm going to illustrate you right now. So you're super Christian and you're going around and you go up to somebody, somebody you know, and you say, hey, have you read your Bible today? And they go, well, yeah, you know, I haven't had a chance. And how about this week? Well, not really. You know, I've been really busy kind of under the weather and kind of been doing some stuff. And they go, I thought you were a Christian. Have you ever had this happen? I've had it happen to me. I'm a pastor. Right? 
Oh, I thought you were a Christian. Well, I am. Well, then if you're a Bible, I mean, if, you, if you're a Christian, wouldn't you read your Bible every day? Don't you think you ought to love God like that every day? I'm going, yeah, I, th- I think I should. I'm feeling guilty. I know better than I'm feeling guilty, right? And, go, and, they're, they're coming, and then they walk away, shaking their head like, man, I'm just like super guilt guy right now. Then the next person comes along, goes, hey, how you doing? I've been, well, you know, I was doing pretty good five minutes ago, you know, and, and uh, he said, hey, I got to tell you something. I was reading over there in the book of Ezekiel, and you don't even know there was a book of Ezekiel. You know what I'm talking about? You didn't know there was one. And, you, and, and, man, there's wheels spinning inside of wheels, and there's all kinds of crazy stuff and visions going on, and I think this guy, Ezekiel, he was on mushrooms. I mean, something was going on. Hey, I'll see you later, and you walk away. I don't know about you, I'm reading the book of Ezekiel because I made it so irresistibly attractive because it touched my heart. It got inside of me, and it just wasn't guilt. I just want to find some good stuff in there too, you know? I just want to enjoy a good meal from God. If God shows you too much too quickly in what he's doing, You will overreact and you'll forfeit the prize that God has for you. So what God does, he'll take you down a path and he'll feed you in different increments like he feeds different people. He'll just feed you a little bit, feed you a little bit, a little bit. And the idea is what he really wants you to do is not get it all perfect. He wants you to embrace the process he's got you on. See, everybody here is preparing their testimony. Anybody here not screwed up? Raise your hand. If you are, you're dismissed. I mean, seriously, right? But he says, would you embrace the process I have you in? Don't feel guilty because you're not running faster. Just go back to the point of departure and say, I'd just like to return in faithfulness. And when I fail to be faithful today, God, would you remind me so I can be faithful tomorrow? Because the only way you're ever going to love God and grow in God is if you understand the heart of the Father is he's always loving you. He's always holding you five seconds longer. And everything he tells you is for a reason, it's for a purpose. He wants you to draw closer unto him. The heart of the Father, though, is very strategic. When God says something, he says it in such a way that he's trying to accomplish something in your life. He wants to do something in your life. He wants wants you to understand that you can be happy in the household of the Father, truly happy in the household of the Father. So let's go to Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. And then God says, would would a man rob God? And it's almost like comical, isn't it? You know, like, can you imagine, you know, like, you got a gun, you stick it, God, stick him up. I mean, when I read it, I can't think, well, God, how would I do that? And yet you have robbed me, but you say, what way have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? And you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even the whole nation. And then he says, bring all the tithes, that is 10% of what you make, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me. This is the only time in Scripture where God says, would you put me to the test? The only place, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven, pour out such a blessing that there will not be room enough for you to receive it. Now, let me just show you, let me diagram this. I'm a, I'm a visual learner, okay? So this helps me. So just imagine this. He says there's a window in heaven, and he said, and I want to open that window in heaven. Now, here's me down here. Notice how thin I am because we just finished the fast, Right? 
I'm trying to get technology here so they can, like, Photoshop me while I actually speak, you know, because my goal is to be thin like Pastor Nate. I got a leg the size of Pastor Nate. I don't even know what I'm doing, right? Amen? Okay, okay. Yeah, what do you do, right? Okay. So here's what God says. God says in this passage, here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring into the storehouse, okay, I want you to bring into the storehouse this thing called a tithe and an offering, okay? And you say to yourself, well, why would I want to do that? Because after all, I like my money, and my money's really handy in my pocket, and I don't have enough of it ever. And he says, well, here's what I'm going to do. If you'll do that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send this through the heart of the Father. I'm going to open then the windows of heaven, and then I'm going to do something pretty amazing in your life. He says here in Scripture, he says, and I will open for you the windows of heaven, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to pour out such a blessing there will not be room enough to receive it. So there's a cycle here. There's a process whereby God works, but it goes through the heart of the Father. Now, when I begin to operate in this kind of a world, you know, my first step is, well, God, how do I get to this place because this seems so hard? Well, remember, God says, this is the only place he says it, put me to the test. If you don't believe me, test me. You ever heard people say, well, I wouldn't tempt the Lord. Well, he says you can right here. This is the only thing that he ever says. You know why? Because the thing that's closest to everybody's heart is their money. They don't want to give it up for nothing. They're going to pay their bills on the last day. They're going to file their taxes if they owe anything on the 15th. I mean, it is, I'm not giving it up for anything. God says, would you test me and see what kind of father I am? Just see what kind of father I am. See what I can do. Everything that God says in his word is significant. God doesn't say something just to be saying something. He's not trying to fill up. You know, I just finished a book and the editor wanted, you know, like 60,000 words. Well, you know, there are moments where I'm thinking, God, I need some more words. I got to get a longer quote. I got to get something in here. I'm running out of words. Well, the Bible is not that kind of book. It's not like God going, you know, I got an editor and he's, I got him crunched. I got to get another book in that Bible, you know, because it's not going to be thick enough. Everything God says is significant. God always provides a solution in his word. God always has the, the, the provision before the problem arrives. You've got a problem. You go, what am I going to do? God says, I already have a provision. Why are you worrying? You ever worried about a problem and how much good did it do? Jesus said, what, what did worry ever accomplish in your life? Did it ever add something, value to your life? Did you ever get happy? Yeah, I'm, I'm worried to death and, and I'm thrilled with it. Have you ever heard anybody say that? I'm just thrilled to death to be worried, and, and, and I know it's just taken years off my life. Man, my heart's hurting, and, you know, and I just uh, I can't even focus, and, boy, I am so thrilled about it. Go back and ask yourself, how's that working for you? What value does it add, and what does Scripture have to say about the pathway that God wants you to be on? God always provides an answer, and watch this. God is an investor. He's not a saver. Here's the difference between a saver and an investor. Investor understands something about risk and return. Saver's just trying to hold on to life. Bad things happen, I got to have some money to buy a new battery. But investors are different, and God is an investor. What God says, if you will invest in the kingdom, I'm going to show you a return that you've not seen before. 
I'm going to bless you in ways that you can't even imagine. If I look back over our life, and, and I can honestly say from the day that I found Christ as a college student, there's never been a dollar I've made that I've not given at least 10% of that back unto God. Not one time. And I can promise you this. There have been plenty of times where I go, God, are you going to come through? I promise you that. There have been plenty of times when I'm writing a check going, I don't know where this is going to go. I don't know how this, we need some heavenly accounting here because the earthly one's not working well. I know that experience. We were at a church. I went six years without taking a raise that they offered it to me, and I said, no, I want to reinvest it back in the kingdom. Every year I got more money than that raise ever would have given me. came from unsuspecting sources. Now, you can go out and make a lot of money and never give a penny to God, but what do you really got? You got you. That's all you got is you. Congratulations, you. You know, you're a great guy. Heard a story about a very, very rich man. He, uh, he was on his deathbed. He called his three closest advisors to him. He called his attorney, his doctor, and his pastor. And he said to him, gentlemen, I know that it, you know, and pastor, I know all due respect, you can't take it with you, but I'm going to try. He said, I've reduced everything down into cash. There are three boxes here, each of you to take a box, and I want you to put the contents of that box in my, in my uh, coffin when I'm dying, when, when I'm dead. And they all shook their heads. They agreed to do it. And two or three weeks after the funeral, they were sitting around talking. And the, the lawyer was the first one to, you know, to come clean, you know, because lawyers typically have more, more to come clean about than others. I just We had like 20 attorneys in our church, so I love you all. Don't sue me. But, um, <laughs> but uh, he says, I got to admit, he said, you know, you know, I really wanted to do that, but, you know, we, we wanted to put an addition on our, on our firm, and we wanted to hire a couple of new people, and, and I, just, I didn't put the cash in the coffin. And the doctor, he kind of put his head down. He was shaking his head, and he said, you know, I got to admit, you know, there were just so many patients that just needed some money to get through some medical things, and, and, and you know, and, and, and we needed some new equipment at the office, and, and I didn't do it either. And the, the pastor just looked at him, shaking his head, and just absolute unbelief. I cannot believe what I'm hearing. He said, I wrote a check for the full amount and put it in the coffin. <laughs> so you'll get that about Thursday. Uh, anyway, God is an investor. Here's what, here's what we understand about what Scripture says. We need to give everything in the right place. That's a storehouse. We need to do it with the right motive. That's you love God. If you can't give out of a love for God, you should hold on to your money. Just hold it. Just keep it. You're giving for the wrong reason. The Bible says God loves a joyful giver. You know, I gave, that preacher, you know, he put some pressure on me today and I gave an extra five. We'll be fine without it. But you won't with it. See, that's the difference. God's all about the heart. People say, I bet it's hard to preach on giving. I love preaching on giving. It's the greatest point of freedom for God's children. And it's the greatest hindrance when they don't. That's all. Give with the right attitude. It's just faith. God, I'm just trusting you. You told me to test you, and I'm going to test you, and I'm going to see what you do in my life. Because you see, the heart of the Father is generous. Let me show you this. Malachi chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. I will rebuke the devourer. Did you notice the definite article in front of the word devour? The devourer. There is a certain devourer out here he wants us to understand. And it says that he, who's that? The devil, will not destroy the fruit of your ground. 
nor will, will the vine bear, uh, fail to ve- bear fruit uh, for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts, and all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord. What is it that devours your, your land? It's, you know, you can invest and, you know, but there's always something that's going to devour. Well, I had a good investment, but I lost. I bought that car, but it was a lemon. You know, I mean, there's always something that can devour. And he says, you know, I'd like to stop the devourer in your life. I'd like to actually see you do well. I'd like to see you prosper in such a way. I want to give you wisdom on how, you know, here's the thing. You can't pray and not work and be successful. God never honored laziness, right? He never honored it. You work hard, right? You work hard. You be honorable to others. You use your mind. You think of creative ways. God loves it when you, he loves it when you prosper, start new companies, make, you know, we just pray all the time. I mean, it's part of our, our staff prayer every week. God, we just pray that you'll just prosper everyone. You'll give them good health. We just pray all those good things over them because those are biblical principles. And, and we want you to do that. So, you know, you just work hard. You say, I'm going to work hard. You know, people always trying to get a shorter week. You ever notice that? God says, hey, six days shall you labor, and on the seventh you shall rest. We, we're down to a five-day work week, and two days of that's on the Internet. Surfing. Statistics show that. About 15 hours a week, the average worker surfing during work hours. You know what that is? That's stealing from your employer. That's all that is. How got close to me that time. God says, I can honor you, but you'll honor me. Unbelief is anchored in the, inv- in the visible. You see, if, if you have unbelief, it's because you've got yourself so stuck in the visible world that you can't see the invisible world. That's where God really works, amen? I mean, anybody ever seen your soul? Not your shoe. I'm talking about your eternal soul, amen? All right? You've never seen it, but you know it's there. i got a heart that's beating in here, and I know it's there. I can feel it, but I've never seen it. I don't want to see it. Leave it in there. Amen? But I know it's working. God's working in the invisible world. You see, favor is God's lavish love toward you. Say this with me, and you got to say it out loud, even if you don't want to, okay? Just, this sermon's almost over. Just give me a little bit, all right? God really loves me. Whenever you doubt it, just say that again. God just really loves me. You can add with, I don't know why, but he does. God just really loves you. God puts his arms around you and he holds you five seconds longer. He holds you long enough to where you know it's real. It's not fake. It's not the grandma pat. So what if I don't do all this stuff that you told me to do? He still loves you. He can't help it. But you see, what father would not show his child how to experience the greatest amount of freedom? When Jesus died on the cross, he died in a very violent way. I get this question all the time. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Why couldn't he just die some other way less violent? Because God wanted you to understand 
the violence of the death was equal to the violence of your sin. He couldn't just grow old and die. When I see him bleed, when I see him crucified, mocked, spit, stripped, cursed, I know that that's reflective of what goes on in my heart apart from God. I don't ever want to be able to say Jesus died on the cross lightly or easily or without emotion. When I say it, I want to, I want to reflect back on why he did that. It was for all the violent stuff I've done against God, and he still loved me. I don't know about you, but that, that to me is just like over-the-top good stuff. The kingdom, the kingdom of God always aligns itself with risk. It's a risk to follow God. I'm not lying. It's a risk. You know, some people will tell you, just follow God and life's going to get simple. That's not true. Sometimes you follow God, life gets super complicated. But you know you love him and you know you're following him. You know you're doing the right thing. The simple path is not always the best path. Amen. And favor, what we understand is favor can be accelerated in the kingdom. You know what happens here? When I do this, see, we live under an open heaven. What we mean by that is that God's heaven is open and thy kingdom done, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We believe we live under an open heaven. But I want you to know that God, through there are certain triggers in in life that literally open a portal in, in the heaven that's individual and not just corporate. This is one of them. There's, um, I want you to stand with me, and I, I want to just close here in prayer and, and, and in a song, and I'm going to read a scripture to you in just a minute, but just bow your heads with me for a moment. I don't know what went through the filter today as you heard this message, and hopefully, hopefully at least got my heart was, was a heart of love for the Father for you. If anything else came through other than that, forgive me. I apologize because I didn't want anything else but that to come through. So much does the Father love you right now. Some of you, you say, I don't even know him. How could he love me? He loves you even when you're apart from him, but he'd like to draw you in. Would you just receive him now? Just say, I'd like to know you, Father. Would you just bring me into this love relationship through salvation? The Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You can just be saved by saying, God, would you save me, Jesus? I believe you died and were buried and rose from the dead for me. Would you do that? For some of you, you know, you've got caught in a religious trap over the years, and you've got a million reasons why you hate the church or hate religion. And, you know, I get it. I totally get it. But when do you get over it? When do you stop there? When do you stop being a victim and start being a victor? There's got to be some time in your life. You don't want to do that your whole life, you know. And just say, you know what? I get it. The religion of the church is not perfect, but Jesus is. I'm going to draw into the love of the Father. When I have the Father's heart, everything is going to look different about the church and about people and about life. That's where I've got it. That's the, that's the prescribed path for, for freedom. There is um, there's a psalm. It's actually a psalm that was kind of instrumental in that song that Whitney sang earlier, uh, Enter the Gates. I want to just read it to you. And just kind of read it over you if I can. 
It says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded upon the seas and established upon the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? This was the picture of going up the hill to the temple to the, where the gates would be opened. And it says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And then it says this, lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up your everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. I want you just to close your eyes right now and just imagine you're walking up a hill. You begin to hear the thunder. You hear a thunder. You don't know what it is, but it's the it's the wings of angels as they're 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 just beating against the atmosphere. You hear a sound. It's a it's a sound of glory. It's a holy is the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You hear a thundering of instruments and song, and then all of a sudden you look up and you see gates open. And you're caught up in a great throng of people. You're far to the back. You, you're just glad to be there, going up to, to worship the king. And then all of a sudden you realize that the gates didn't open for you. They opened for the king of glory that was leading you up the hill. There he is. You look up and you see him. And, all, and he looks back at you and he catches you. He, your eyes catch his eyes. And all of a sudden all you see is pure love. They're like pure love, the purest love you've ever seen. And you know that you belong there with him. You know it. Any guilt, any shame you had, it's gone because pure love overrides all of that guilt and shame and all that religion, all that junk that you've carried for so long. And it's behind you. And now the gates open and you say, I'm going to enter the gates with praise. I'm going to enter the gates with thanksgiving. I'm coming before the Father with all the joy and all the power that he gives me in his love. And you're able to sing with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength and give him glory. So let's now, let's just, Let's just sing this song, Enter the Gates, with that picture in mind, the pure love of Jesus drawing you in.